0: So you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5, or if you're using an electronic device, go ahead and scroll on over to Matthew chapter 5 uh, as we look starting in verse 38 together. And while you're turning, um, I've kind of been watching on online, we've asked you to be checking in on Facebook or whatever, using that as a way to uh, let people know that you're here as an encouragement to invite people. Let me ask you to, to step that up one more if you, if you like put something from the worship service or whatever you use a hashtag now now if you don't if you're not on social media the hashtag is the old pound sign the number sign or whatever um, but uh, hashtag FBC Fairburn that way we can follow and see kind of what's being what's being shared and, and and what's going on that way we can kind of see and be able to track some things on, on Twitter on Facebook whatever uh, just use hashtag FBC Fairburn as a way for us to uh, to keep up um, this morning we're going to be looking a little bit more into where Jesus is taking us in the Sermon on the Mount and this call to a deeper righteousness. And it's probably fair to say that Jesus um, has really meddled with our lives a little bit as we've looked at anger and murder, as we've looked at marriage, as we've looked at, uh, as we looked at honesty. And this morning, uh, we're gonna be looking at something that is, is on the one hand, probably familiar to you, but when we really get down into it, it's probably hard for us to stomach, especially as Westerners, because we are built on rights and we are built on what we think we should get and how we should be treated and don't you dare do that to me. And, and, and so Jesus is really going to challenge us on, on some of these issues. And, and and kind of looking into the heart, because Jesus isn't wanting you to go on with a happy, jovial, ha 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 life. He wants you to become more and more like him. The the destiny of all of us in Christ, as according to the book of Romans, chapter eight, is conformity conformity to the likeness of Christ. And then from there, when we when we pass out of this life, it's into heaven with him, where we have really no choice in the matter. We're going to be made new like him, and we don't have to struggle with all the stuff that we deal with here. So Jesus is going to kind of challenge us a little bit this morning on this whole idea of going the second mile, but not just necessarily the way we might want to limit it. So if you found your place in Matthew 5 and you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read. Um, if you're unable, that's okay. Just follow along as we read verse 8, uh, 38 to 42 together. Together Jesus says, "You have heard that it was said, "An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him also have your coat. If anyone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're looking at your word. Lord, we know that your son Jesus Christ is the word who was God and was with God and by that word were all things made that have been made. Lord, And we know that all things were made by Christ through Christ and are held together in Christ. So this morning, we want the name of Christ to be impressed upon our hearts as we look at this passage of scripture. And Lord, in in, in having the name of Christ impressed upon our hearts, Lord, we Willingly give the Holy Spirit license to root out any bitterness, any source of evil or malice or wickedness that we might be made more like your son today. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would give us wisdom and teach our hearts today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This passage of scripture kind of comes as a little bit of an ego sucker punch. You know what a sucker punch is. That's the one that kind of gets you in the gut when you're not really expecting it. And, and it kind of it kind of takes you a second. You're kind of, oh, oh yeah. And, and it, it kind of pulls you back and, and makes you re- rethink some things. And And Jesus brings us into this little bit more of a discomfort, not because he's trying to punish us, but because he's trying to, Purge us. Remember, Jesus says later in the Gospel of Matthew if anyone wants to come after me, the first thing he says, you've got to deny yourself. And when you deny yourself, then you take up your cross. And so Jesus pulls us into this passage of scripture, not and into this in this teaching, not because he's some old ancient rabbi, not because he is dealing with things that only took place a couple of thousand years ago that you and I don't have to worry about today. I mean, he's talking about Roman soldiers carrying packs, and he's talking about people trying to sue you for your shirt. Now, now it, it would be kind of funny, and I'd have to go and search court records, but I really wanna know if there's been a law lawsuit in America in the 21st century for somebody's shirt. You know, that's probably not most lawyers are going to look at you and say, really, you're going to pay the legal fees for a shirt? Really? Okay. So, so, so there's, it's probably not going to happen. So it's not that Jesus is bringing us into some antiquated teaching because everything that Jesus tells us now is pertinent in this passage of scripture for 2017, as much as it was 2,000 years ago, because Jesus is bringing us into something that is an eternal truth, something that you and I deal with every day, and that is the fact that your feelings are going to get hurt. Your feelings are going to get hurt. Somebody's going to offend you. Somebody is going to say something that disrespects you. Somebody is going to hurt you in some way. And somebody is going to let you down. And all the married folks said amen because it happens. Jesus wasn't just blanket picking topics that weren't going to relate to people then and don't relate to us now. Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, the son of God. And he's conveying to us and communicating to us something that we've got to wrestle with. We've got to come to grips with and we've got to learn to deal with that our feelings are going to get hurt. Somebody's going to make us mad. Somebody's going to do something to us that we don't really like. And, and, the American in us wants to puff up and say, not in my house and punch him back in the mouth, right? The, the Westerner in us wants to jump up and say, that's a violation of my rights. And Jesus is like, look, you, you chose to follow me. So, so let's stop for just one second and, and rehash the audience to whom Jesus is speaking. Jesus isn't like riding around on the back of a donkey and just shouting these things out in the middle of the street for anybody that will listen. He is speaking to people that have identified him as one who was worthy to be listened to and so they have submitted themselves to his teaching. They were his followers. The, the word that the Gospel of Matthew uses that he was speaking to his disciples. Now, whether it's just the 12 or a massive crowd out there on, on the Sermon on the Mount, I believe it was a very large crowd And Jesus is speaking to them because they came to him. So it's important for you where you're sitting right now to ask yourself the question before we go any further, have I come to Jesus and why? You may have come to Jesus because somebody said, yeah, go check out Jesus. He's pretty cool, just like the, the latest movie theater, like the latest CD release. Y'all don't do CDs anymore. I forget the latest podcast or download for your, for your iPad, iPhone, iPhone, whatever. And, and I don't know, but he says here in this passage that he's speaking to his disciples. So maybe you came to Jesus just because somebody recommended him. Maybe you came to Jesus because you thought Jesus would make you feel better about yourself. After all, that's what we want, right? Higher self-esteem. Feel better about yourself. So maybe you came to Jesus because he was like a cuddly teddy bear and you could come up to him and rub your fingers in his beard, as weird as that is, and you could hug him and love on him and all this good stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, this makes me feel better, so I'll stick with this guy. But unless you came to Jesus Christ with the full recognition that you alone have nothing to do with eternity outside of Christ Jesus, you've come to him for the wrong reason. There there is something that is indelible in all of our hearts and in all of our lives. And that is the stain of sin. Some of you know this about me, some of you don't, but, but, but I have a tattoo from when I was in college. If I, could, if I could go back, I would say, don't take that, don't do that. But I've got one on my ankle and it serves as a reminder to me of something very important. It takes a special removal tool to get rid of this thing. And there is only one thing that can get rid of the sin that is in your life and in my life, and that is Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that if you come to him and confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You will be saved. You will be rescued from the clutches of Satan. You will be rescued from the misery of sin. Now, that doesn't mean you will never sin again because everybody in this room sinned this week, whether you want to believe it or not. The Bible tells us that if we are under the, under the gloomy chains of darkness of sin, we have no choice but to sin. But in Christ Jesus, we don't sin because we have to. We sin because we chose to. And so somebody probably let you down as a Christian and hurt your feelings and they were a Christian and you got some skepticism and you're second guessing this whole church thing because somebody in the church hurt your feelings. I wish it were the case that we could come to church and nobody would hurt each other's feelings, but you know what? It happens. Unfortunately, it happens. And that's why the gospel comes in and overcomes and overwhelms and overtakes. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins that we could know the peace of God, live in unity with God, and have a relationship with one another that is different. And so if you've never trusted Christ this morning, in the in just a few minutes, when I get done up here, we're gonna have a time of invitation. That's not your only time to accept Christ, but it is a time where you should run up here and learn of the joy of salvation but in the end even if you come to christ your feelings are still going to get hurt because everybody in this room had their feelings hurt by somebody this week everybody in this room had somebody make them mad had somebody offend them say somebody said something to them somebody talked about your mama somebody talked about something that you weren't happy about And, 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 and so Jesus brings us into this and says, look, you know, the ancient teaching, the scribes and the Pharisees have taught you something very important. Look at what he says. You've heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Why is that important? Because somebody's feelings got hurt. Somebody offended someone else. Somebody violated the personal rights of another person. So Jesus pulls in what we call the lex talionis, if you want to get technical. It's the law of retaliation. It's the law of retaliation. And Jesus is addressing this and said, look, if you're going to have a righteousness that is deeper and greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then, what you've got to understand is where they've gone wrong in their teaching and what the gospel has actually called you to be a part of as followers of Christ Jesus. It says, So you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But he says, I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. What in the world is Jesus getting at? Is he asking you to say, Well, I follow Jesus, so just beat me up? As much as you want to, just just beat me up, kick me to the curb. And no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is bringing into an understanding of what the law of God actually was. We find this law of retaliation a couple of times in the Old Testament, but who, the reason it's a law, and the reason it was given is because God has placed some limits, has placed some limits on our response. As a follower of Christ Jesus, we don't have the absolute freedom to go and respond to anyone that hurts our feelings the way we want to. As much as the flesh wants us to, as much as the the personal side of us hurts and aches, because what we want to do is make sure that that person knows how bad they hurt us and then some. We want them to feel it too, right? Right? It's kind of like, they used to, it's probably not politically correct to use this terminology anymore, but, but when I was a kid, we used to do this thing called Indian sunburns. Anybody ever had one of those? Where, where you, you take your arm out and somebody grabs your arm and twists it like that. Oh, good grief, that hurts. So, so I, I'm getting some looks like, what in the world? What kind of place did you grow up in? South Georgia. I grew up in South Georgia. Um, and and, and so, so what we would do as kids is, we would see who could give the worst Indian burn is what we would do. And so if you made me hurt this much, I want to make you hurt that much. But the law of retaliation was given to provide some parameters to say, you know what? It's not for you just to go out and do what you think you should do. And the first place we see the law of retaliation is actually in the book of Exodus. You don't have to flip over there, but if you want to write in the margin or write on your outline sheet, Exodus chapter 21. And see, these are some of the limits that God placed on this. He starts in verse 12 and says, if someone strikes a person so that he dies, he must be put to death life for life. But if he didn't intend to do any harm, but God allowed it to happen, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. So if there's a case of accidental death, God established what we call refuge cities. So the blood redeemer couldn't go out and slay that person who caused the first death because it was an accident. But then he goes on. When men quarrel, verse 18, when men quarrel and one strikes another with a stone or his fist and the injured man doesn't die but is confined to a bed, if he can later get up and walk around outside leaning on his staff, then the one who struck him will be exempt for punishment, but he must pay for his lost work time and provide for his complete recovery. So basically we have a personal injury lawsuit here. I didn't kill you, but I got in a fight with you. We willingly got in a fight together. I hurt you. You were out of work for a couple of months, so I'm going to pay your wages for those couple of months. It keeps going. When a man, excuse me, verse 22, when men get in a fight and hit a pregnant woman so that her children are born prematurely, but there is no injury, the one who hit her must be fined as the woman's husband demands from him, and he must pay according to the judicial assessment. That's important to note. And he goes on, he says, If there are any injury, then you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. But notice he said it's because of the judicial assessment. The reason that's put in there is because personal uh, vengeance and my own retaliation was not God's plan. It was not God's option for me to take matters into my own hand. It was God's plan and God's purpose for there to be others involved in the decision that was made. Why? Because we escalate. Anybody having a prank war? See, prank wars are some of the greatest understanding of how things escalate. So so I'm... I'm not involved in any examples that I'm about to give, but I know some people who were. So let's just say it's a Friday night and there are a group of guys together and they say, you know what, let's go over to Jimmy's house and roll his house real quick. These are all high schoolers, of course, only high schoolers do this. So so high schoolers, they go out and they go to Walmart and Walmart's glad to see high schoolers at midnight because they know, hey, you're going to go buy three loads of of toilet paper in your shopping cart. And they just love seeing that because that's a good sale of toilet paper. And so they go and they go to Jimmy's house and they throw the toilet paper all over the place, all over the house, all over the trees, all over the cars, everywhere. Toilet paper as far as you can see in Jimmy's yard. Next morning, Jimmy's daddy gets up. Jimmy's daddy's not happy. Why? Because he's got toilet paper all over his house. Jimmy has to clean it up. Jimmy's not happy. So Jimmy says, you know what? I know who did this. It was Todd. Next Friday night, I'm going to get Todd back. So he goes back to Todd's house. Next time, Walmart's happy to see Jimmy and a couple of friends because here they come with their three shopping carts full of toilet paper. They get all the toilet paper and they say, you know what? We're going to put plastic forks all over his yard too. High schoolers don't get ideas. And so he goes, to, he goes to Todd's house that night and he covers his house with toilet paper and puts plastic forks all over the front yard. <laughs> I got you better. Todd's daddy gets up. <laughs> I don't know what you got going on with your friends, but you got to put this to the end. Get out here and clean this up. Todd's stewing the whole time. Oh, Jimmy, he got me back and he got forks this time. All right, so he calls his buddies. The next Friday night, they go back to Walmart, get their three shopping carts full of toilet paper. They get the forks that they already pulled out of the yard, reuse them and said, you know what? We're also gonna saran wrap all their cars shut. So there they go with all their toilet paper and all their forks and all their saran wrap. Like, ha ha, yes, it's Escalade. We're getting you better. So then Jimmy's dad's mad because he had somewhere he had to be early Saturday morning. And not only does he have toilet paper and forks everywhere, now he's got to cut saran wrap off of his truck so he can get home, get out of there. Jimmy's mad. So Jimmy says, you know what? I'm going to get him back. He goes back the next Friday night, gets all of his toilet paper, takes the same forks that have been in now three yards down, and has saran wrap as moist as you can see. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to take, I'm going to pick the lock of his, his parents' cars, and I'm going to fill his car their cars full of packing peanuts that you can get at Walmart. Woo, packing peanuts, saran wrap, forks. See how it escalates? And this is just a prank war. But we want to take things to the nth degree. Somebody cuts us off in traffic and we rage over that. We want to get them back because all they did was miss our car by 10 feet. And we want to make sure they know with a scowl in our eyes, hopefully no hand gestures or anything else. But we want to get them back. But personal vengeance was never God's option. Us taking matters into our hands was not God's plan. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Somebody pokes you in the eye, go poke them back. Somebody knocks your tooth out, go knock their tooth out. Because we want to do that. See, God places these limits, but Jesus says, I tell you, don't resist an evildoer because it wasn't God's plan for you to take it into your own hands. Oh, good grief. If we as a civilization could understand this, I, 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 I would venture to say that there would be a more unemployment because there would be lawyers and parole officers and bounty hunters that were out of jobs because we quit doing it ourselves and went under the law of retaliation according to who God is and allowed for the gospel to transform our lives. But it's not happening out there because it's not happening in here. It starts in the house of the Lord with God's people with a transformed, redeemed heart. And so we start asking ourselves, Lord, well, what are we supposed to do? Because people hurt my feelings. Wives and husbands hurt each other's feelings. When Jesus goes on, he says this, on the contrary, <laughs> on the contrary. In other words, what Jesus says, you've heard this, but let me actually tell you what you're supposed to do. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him also. And everybody in here said, yeah, I'm going to do that this week. Jesus puts this out there because malice needs grace, not retaliation. When someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, when someone harms you in some way, physical, emotional, spiritual, otherwise, it is to be met with the grace of God, not our own personal retaliation. And so Jesus brings us into this and and, and just really challenges us with some scenarios. He really confronts us where we are because... It's so much easier to do it the world's way. But Jesus didn't call us to follow the world. He called us to follow the cross. And it's such a countercultural thought. It's such a countercultural pattern. It's such a countercultural idea because it's easy to do things the world's way. It's easy to do things the way everyone else does. And we see that from the very beginning. We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about divorce and and marriage. Isn't it easier just to say, you know what, I'm done with you and write you off? Isn't it easier just to allow your blood to boil with somebody? Isn't it easier just to look at someone as an object rather than someone made in the image of God? Isn't it easier to do these things? But, but Jesus didn't call us to ease. He called us to holiness. He called us to righteousness. He called us to a life that had a deeper righteousness than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so he says here, look, if someone slaps you on the face, on your right, face, on your right cheek, turn your other one to them. I love the way D.A. Carson said it. He said that Christians must be prepared to abandon our rights, But we're such a rights-centered civilization. But remember, when you said yes to Christ Jesus, when you said yes to salvation, when you said yes to forgiveness, when you said yes to the free offer of the gospel, you abandoned your citizenship in America for a citizenship in the kingdom of God. And this kingdom has a law that surpasses anything that our Congress, our president, our state representatives could ever enact. Because it's not a law of the land, it's a law of the heart. And a law of the heart brings us to the understanding that we are no longer our own. We were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ Jesus. And he says, so... I tell you not to resist an evildoer. Bad actions, malice, wickedness must be met with grace, even when the offense is physical. Even when it's physical. Look at what he says there. He says, if anyone comes to you and slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left one to him also. So so everybody this afternoon, just a little practice for you. Go home. All the, everybody that's got siblings in the house, I see a lot of young faces around here, brothers and sisters, just kind of practice this. Let your brother or sister right across the face and go, yeah, get this side too. That, that, it burns over here. Make it burn over here just as much. Nobody's going to do that. No, nobody's going to do that. Some of us with fairer complexion are going to be worried that we've got too much red on one side and not enough on the other. So even it up. We're not going to do that. What Jesus is bringing into is a complete and utter disgrace of humanity because in order for someone in Jesus's day to slap you on your right cheek, mean that they had to backhand you with their right hand. It meant they had to come up to you this way. Because you didn't use your left hand for social interactions. Left hands are used for hygiene. So you don't use your left hand to shake or do... If you write with your left hand in that day, I'm sorry. You're just out of luck with everybody else. You thought having to sit in the right-handed desk in school was a pain as a left-handed person? Yeah, it was a whole lot worse in Jesus' day for you. But the idea Jesus is bringing is when somebody slaps you on the right cheek, it's because they backhand slapped you. Now, you turn your left cheek to them, they it just physically doesn't work. What Jesus is demonstrating is that you are turning to them with grace in spite of what they have just done to you. Now, it might not be that somebody slaps you in the face but somebody might physically affect you in a way that offends you, upsets you, and Jesus isn't saying just be a doormat and get run over and let them continue to pound you and beat you and run over you. No, he's saying turn to grace for them. Because he turned to grace for you. For me. Even when the physical even when the offense is physical, he says Meet it with grace. Even if you started it, oh, look at what Jesus does next. He says, what about the time in verse 40? He says, what about the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt? Let him have your coat as well. So so Jesus is bringing in a lawsuit. Now, the the nature of the lawsuit here is that this person has a good reason to try to sue you. You did something that you probably shouldn't have done. You brought the infraction in, and so you started it. And so they're going to sue you for it. Now, again, I don't know if there are any lawsuits in the court system right now over shirts and coats or anything. But what Jesus brings in is a very peculiar social interaction. See, Old Testament law forbids you from taking someone's inner tunic. You could take their cloak, the outer tunic, but you could not take the inner tunic. Now, if you took the outer tunic, there were even limitations on what you could do with it. If you took it, you could only take it for the day. You had to give it back to them at night because it was their warmth. It was their pillow. It was their blanket. Now, now the, the weather's getting a little bit cooler outside, but come on, we live, in, we live in Georgia in September. It's going to be like 90 for the next six months. We know that. But, but it'd get cool, it'd get cool enough where in Jesus' day and where in, in Israel at night to where you would need kind of a blanket there. More than that, it was also made out of wool. So it provided some water covering, water shelter in case it happened to rain. It wasn't just that, oh man, I really like that jacket. That looked good on me. I'm going to take it from you. It had more to do with the livelihood and the veracity of the life that the people were able to engage in in that day. So what Jesus says is, if somebody wants to take your goat, give them your shirt away. Am I going to do that? They're going to take your, take your jacket and they're going to give them your nicest shirt. Your nicest clothes. What Jesus is demonstrating is you meet with them the grace that makes it right because you started this in the first place. Wouldn't it be great if we could just say yes to Jesus, get saved, and never make anybody mad again so we wouldn't have to worry about that? The problem is, all of us have a little bit of a jerk streak in us somewhere. Even the nicest of us. The nicest people in the world have some little bit of jerk left in them. Why? Because we're all human. We're all broken and in need of salvation that Christ alone can offer. And when we are saved, we're continually being saved. That's the denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him daily. So Jesus says, you know what? It it could be that you started this and you showed the grace to make it right. And then he says something even more stringent. It says, if someone requires you to carry their pack a mile, go to. So even if you disagree with the practice, demonstrate grace. Now, we look at this passage of Scripture, and everybody knows about the carry the pack the second mile. Everybody knows about the second mile kind of, kind of mentality here. And it wasn't just that this Roman soldier was lazy and didn't feel like carrying his stuff down the road. It wasn't just that, you know, he, he man, it was a long day out there as a soldier. I can't bear this anymore. It, it was for racial denigration. It was the Roman looking down upon the Jews simply because they were a Jew. It had everything to do with a racist mentality. And so they'd say, you know what? I'm going to show how not human you are because you're a Jew. And I'm going to treat you with this contempt. I'm going to force you to carry this. And the majority of them would just kind of begrudge you, Like, golly, I'm required by the law to do this. And Jesus says, okay, I'm not saying that it's a just practice. I'm saying meet it with grace, period. Oh, this is one of those passages that Dr. Martin Luther King really, really took to heart. In the way that he approached the injustice of racial segregation, especially in the South, was never a begrudging, I hate you, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. It was always a demonstration of grace, even for those that would say the most despicable things to him and those who were with him. Oh, if only the rest of us could learn from that grace. That practice of saying, you know what? I know you're wrong. And rather than hating you for being wrong, I'm going to demonstrate the grace of God that you may see the power of the gospel and understand what is right. Right? And it's so hard to do because we don't want to be offended. And if we are offended, we want to make sure they know that we're offended. But Jesus says, even if they cause you, ask you, and make you and force you to go the first mile, be willing to go the second mile. And there's an attitude that goes in there when you infuse grace. Well, I can picture, I can picture. This the follower of Christ, coming fresh out of the sermon because I know everybody hears a sermon and goes out and looks immediately for ways to apply it to their life. That's what you spend all of Sunday afternoon doing. I know, I, I'm, I'm with you. And so all these hearers are right there on the thing. Okay, okay, good. Let's go find a soldier. Let me put this into practice. And then the soldier says something to them about being a despicable, less than human piece of refuse as a Jew. Carry my pack. Okay, now I've, Okay. I've got to put my big boy pants on now. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You put grace in the situation and now the conversation goes from I hate that I'm having to do this to excuse me, sir. How is your wife? How is your family? What in the world are you talking about, Jew? Have you had a good day today? What is it really like working for Caesar? Caesar is the training as stringent and showing interest and concern for that person. And now what's happened is they're like, wait a second, this isn't just a regular Jew. It's going that second mile. It's going past the offense to how grace can transform it. And so Jesus brings us into verse 42 and says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And everybody looks at this verse and says, that doesn't really fit with anything else. Seems like Jesus really just stuck that one in there as the don't forget to tithe this week kind of part of the message or whatever. No, what Jesus is doing is he's demonstrating that grace fuels a generous heart. This grace that was needed to overcome the offense, this grace that was needed to turn the other cheek, this grace that was needed to go the second mile, is the same grace of a generous, grace-fueled heart that says, You know what? I'm going to try to meet the need that is here, that is present. And so he says here: Give to the one who asks for you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Because giving is not a blind gesture. Giving is not a blind gesture. It is an operation of grace. And yeah, there are people outside of the grace of God that can give. And they can give and they can donate here. I saw the other day that one of the, the Houston football players uh, for the Houston Texas uh, Texans had, uh, had raised over $10 million for, for disaster relief there in the Houston area. That's huge. That's great. I saw where, where, uh, where Walmart is, has raised over $25 million. That's, that's great. There are a lot of people that can give. There are a lot of people that can raise money. And you can set up a GoFundMe for pretty much anything right now. But, but what Jesus demonstrates is that when grace is the operation of our life, whether it's an offense or a need, we seek to cover it. So he says in this passage, don't turn away because it's not a blind gesture. He's not saying, you know what, you've got to give and give and give and give and give and give give ludicrously and give ridiculously and give to the point where you've got yourself in financial trouble, but to see a need and have the willingness to fill it. Because giving is a bridge to the gospel. Giving is a bridge to the gospel. Notice with me one phrase that he uses in this passage. He says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away. Now that seems, like, that seems like an easy phrase to kind of lump in there and miss. But remember, Jesus is speaking to Hebrew people. He's speaking to mostly Jewish followers. And in the Jewish mind, to turn away is to harden To turn away is to render the heart stiff and rigid, unmalleable. And this is what grace overcomes. This is why the book of, uh, in the the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah says, I'm going to take away your hard, rigid, hardened heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a grace-laden, grace-filled heart Jesus pulls in and says, Don't harden your heart to the needs. See, when we're operating under grace, we are operating under the practice that says, I don't agree with this practice, I don't agree with that, but I'm going to use grace to overcome, to be a voice of change. This is why social justice within the church is a must. Because if we operate under the grace of God, we take illegitimate practice by the horns and say, the grace of God will overcome. Don't harden your hearts. And when we're offended, it's easier to harden, right? When somebody says something to us or, 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 or calls us a name or talks about our mama or cuts us off in traffic, it's easy to harden our heart, Jesus says, don't, "Don't harden it. Remember the grace that gave you a new heart and set you into a new life. And so we stop and we ask ourselves the question: As a follower of Christ is the second mile in me. It is the second mile in my heart. Am I willing to go the grace-laden path of the gospel even when I've been offended, even when I've been hurt, even when I've been let down, even when it seems like it is fruitless to do so, am I willing to go the second mile? Is it in my heart because the grace of God has placed it there? If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do some nice things but the second mile will not be in your heart it's incapable of being in your heart because you've not come to grips with the fact that jesus went that more than that second mile when he left the eternal realm of glory and took on flesh to bear the weight the cost and the price of your sin that's grace Come to faith in Christ Jesus. Trust Him as the only means you have for salvation and know the grace that is given in the second mile and let it come into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and seek to be a second mile, man or woman, boy or girl of Christ, of God, and go that second mile. Are you already saved? Have you turned? Has that heart become hardened? Have you allowed offense and the wicked and the evil of, society, of the world, of civilization, of people in your neighborhood and your family to turn your heart to where grace is not flowing? If that's you this morning, let me ask you to come and, and, and spend some time in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to fill you again with His grace, that that second mile be there right in the midst of your heart to bridge the gospel with those in need.